Greetings, travelers. Greetings, travelers. It's your amazing Mark and Erica in what is it? Four, four, 14, 14 February. I can't so, say that right yet. I'm going to eventually get it. By the end of the month, you'll have it. And yeah. I've still got to get you, a, you know, one of Charles yeah. Ford's books. Yes, yes. As you hear my dogs deciding to have a fight right when we start recording. Yes, hey, thank you, you Dolly know, and Garris. That's because we're a professional show. That's what we do. We, we bring out <laughs> the big guns. We put on the fancy studio. We do all the fancy things when we have a special guest. So. That's true. Um, I'll just say those are demon dogs in the background. Hellhounds. How about that? We'll just that, that. Insert hellhound noise. Just kidding. Okay. So, Mark, it's the beginning of marvelous February, and you have invited an amazing guest today. Do you want to intro him without taking fifteen minutes to do so? Do you think? Okay, that's I'll try to keep it to my usual, you know, five to ten minutes here. But, okay. Uh, well, this, okay. This I'm, gentleman I'm not... has been. A good friend, and I have been a fan of his work for years. We met at the Southwest Florida Paranormal Conference a number of years ago, stumbled on his table, and we became quick friends. This guy researches, like me, a little bit of everything. But he is one of those guys, unlike you, Erica, he actually goes out and does the things to instigate the legends to occur. If there is a legend that needs investigating, he will go out and make sure to do everything that would cause that legend to happen. Okay, so he is the opposite of me. The opposite of you, yes. The opposite of me who will go and go, nope, we're not going to mess with this. Whatever this I'm feeling, we're not going to poke it like a a bear with a stick. So introduce him and then I can ask him why he decided to poke things with a stick. The one, the only, the amazing Christopher Balzano is here. Welcome. I like when I'm uh, talking with someone who I've known for a while because they say my name the right way. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Although I still have people I work with for years that that call me Belzano. So oh, wow. I appreciate you getting my name right, Mark. Well, you know, you, you owe me five bucks. but we're <laughs> Okay. That does not well, surprise me. Welcome, Chris. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Besides that intro that Mark gave, why don't you say a little bit about yourself for our listeners who may not know who you are? Well, I think it's a really interesting way that um, that Mark introduced me as an instigator, because <laughs> in a lot of ways, uh, I think that's kind of accurate. But, you know, I, I'm an English teacher. I, I teach high school English. And so we were just talking today about connotation. And the idea of instigate, I think of the TV shows where they go in there and they just try to rile up a ghost and, and, and get it to react. I remember coming from Massachusetts and spending many a night at the Lizzie Borden house. And we would, you know, stand there and just like yell at, at, at Stephen Borden to, that, he, um, that he had molested Lizzie. And that's why the murder was. And we were trying to get a rise out of him so that he would. And that, while that was very interesting and, and kind of what I was doing back in the day, although I never really liked that. I'm not sure if instigate is the right word. So I, I'm what's called a legend tripper. And I have spent years as an investigator. I was a storyteller uh, moving into investigating, did that for years, and then ultimately kind of felt empty with that. And so I went more the path of a legend tripper who, here's a local legend, uh, and I'm in Florida right now. So here's a local Florida legend, does as much research as he can about the community about the legend, about similar legends in the area, similar legends that are not in the area. And then what we do is we go out and we try to experience, that's the nice way to say it, we go out and try to experience the legend the way that the people of that community say that it happens, right? So if you're supposed to uh, stand uh, or sit at a, a certain intersection and flash your light three times, rather than going there with a whole bunch of equipment and trying to capture and prove that ghosts are real, We leave it all up to the legend. We go to that intersection, we flip the lights, and we see what happens. And then we report it back to the audience. So we are like the avatar of the legend out there in the field for the audience. That is really interesting. So as somebody who does not like to necessarily rile things when I'm in the environment, because I don't like the ramifications sometimes of, and I don't want anything to follow me home because I decided to wake it up, right? Yeah. I think it's interesting. So like if somebody says, just so I can get an example of this. So if I go 
if you go and say, you know, Hail Mary three times, it's supposed to solicit this ghost and you go to see if that occurs. Right. So, you know, to, to be a very specific example that both Mark and I are familiar with in St. Pete, there's the famous mini lights. And oh, depending on where, on those. okay, yeah. beautiful. So depending on where you think that legend takes place, because there are several different places yep. that it could potentially be, you go to that location, you su surrender to the legend and you say, many lights, many lights come out tonight three times in the hope that either many, if you're on that side of the legend or the, the many lights or the, the, the children or the ghosts or whatever you think is going with on with that legend attacks you essentially, uh, okay. or at least makes itself known to you. So yeah, that's exactly what legend tripping is. And you know, sometimes that involves what you think the ghost might be interested in. Like there might be a, a local legend, but what exactly does it mean you're supposed to do there? It might just be something like, so for example, there's this really interesting legend on the East coast of Florida. And if you go to this location they're supposed to be on every Saturday night, a bar that's closed down is supposed to magically reappear. And you hear people laughing, you hear music playing, you hear the clinging of drinks and things like that. So we went to that location and not kind of like, there's no legend there, what are we supposed to do? We actually played music, right? And we oh. cleaned glasses and hoping that we could get some kind of response, like we could recreate that atmosphere for them. And you know, every legend trip, I think, is informative, right? The majority of the time that we go out there, what we find is there's some kind of paranormal activity or there's some kind of unexplained activity might be a better way to describe it. And people have fallen back on cliches or well-known legends and well-known backstory to try to explain it. You know, when you experience the paranormal, the average person there's no way to process it. It's, it's not part of what you, your, your normal life, but you can make more sense out of it if you can fall back on Romeo and Juliet. Oh, it was two people. They were in love with each other. And now, you know, they committed suicide accidentally due to a misunderstanding. And now their souls are trapped in a location. What is going on might be real or might not be real, but the story we make up about it is usually says more about the living than it does the dead. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I often joke on this podcast about, and I'm, it's a joke, but I'm actually firmly convinced of this, cosplay ghosts. And what that is to me is like, you, you go, oh, those must have been the lovers. But like, you know, we're not stuck in an age or a look or whatever, right? And so you go, well, that's convenient that it's a child ghost, but spirits are not probably aged one way or the right. other, you know what I mean? So it's interesting that you say it that way, because I almost go, do some of these things play to that narrative, right? I 100% agree with you. I think in certain locations, just in Florida, certain locations, for example, I think the Oviedo lights, I think are uh, traditionally they were, you go out and this was something that you would do on a date, right? This was the, this is the essence of legend tripping because it's happening in the thirties and forties and fifties. You go from the soda shoppy. Uh, into a car, you bring a whole carload of people and you watch these unexplained lights that are in the air, right? Yeah. And then you, uh, maybe you invite that special someone out and you guys are making out, you're fooling around the car and you look at the lights for a little bit. It's your excuse to do that. Well, locations like that, I think the Devil's Tree in Florida is another place like this. I think that because eyes are on it and because there's a certain expectation there are spirits that go there because they know they can make contact. The living are so willing to go there that the dead that can't find contact anywhere else kind of in some way know about it and they find their way to it to also kind of be part of that. Well, you know, it's interesting. So that plays into another question that I have, right? Because we've talked a little bit about fear mongers and some of the things that are probably not ghosts, but something else that we'd pretty natural. We don't know what they are, but you, you kind of also wonder if there are sort of like this magnetism in the spiritual world for like, unfortunately, a lot of times negativity, right? Like enough bad things happen because like even Mark talks, we haven't done an episode on it yet, but we're going to like the Dozier School for Boys, you know, the uh, insane asylums, like their prisons, the places where like there's this really terrible crap happened to people, right? right. And so- you you go there's enough of this that this sort of like 
I don't, I don't know if magnet's the right word, but this thing that pulls in. Definitely attraction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So for example, um, my first, kind of my first real book, I like to think, my first, my book, uh, as opposed to like a mercenary job, was called <laughs> Dark Woods, which is about one of the apexes of the infamous Bridgewater Triangle in, um, in Massachusetts. And Freetown, to me, inside the Bridgewater Triangle, you can pretty much find anything paranormal or supernatural that that raises your interest and you can pretty much find any kind of excuse or reasoning behind uh, unusual things happening there as well but I became fascinated with one of the apexes which is Freetown which is everything you can find in the triangle you can find in this small little should be not even known to the world kind of town in Massachusetts it, it connects okay. to Lizzie Borden like Fall River used to be part of Freetown and when I wrote that book, Dark Woods, it started with a question. And that question was, I'm looking at this town, this out of, out of the way town, no one should even know its name. And it has so many supernatural and paranormal sightings that it's on my radar, right? And it's, and it's part of this bigger thing, the Bridgewater Triangle. And then I'm looking at it and all of these weird, unusual, unexplained crimes are happening in the same location. Right. So we have all of this spiritual we've got. And I'm, sh I'm sure we can open the puck wedgie door if we need to open that at some point. Oh, we're we're we totally have... talking that today. <laughs> right. So we have zombies. And, I'm, and I'm, this is not like I'm just saying there's everything. This is not a, a, a con. This is like, you know, a convention. This is what's actually there. We have uh, zombies and ghosts and we've got uh, cryptids. We've got Bigfoot and we've got these Pukwudgies and we've got all these ghost stories coming out and every place seems to be haunted. And then in that same forest, it's very much like the Ocala Mark, that same forest, you now have these unexplained crimes and you have active serial killers and you have what I call disproportionate crimes. In other words, uh, you kill somebody that while unfortunate makes sense, but then as you're leaving, you turn back around and you ignite the body and let it burn. Right. While yeah. the person's still alive. Like that's a disproportionate crime. You know, I contacted a man there who was, he was one of the deputies or he was one of the, uh, the, the detectives there. And this is like a small, like there were more horses than people in this, this town, like back in the day. And he investigated over 30 homicides as a detective in this small little town over his career. And so much of the criminal activity had an, an occult uh, tinge to it that he became one of the leading experts on occult crime in the world. And he was getting called off to places like Switzerland and like England to consult with their detectives on these cult related crimes because so much of it was going on. And so to go back to your question, that book was a spark of like, are these things connected? Can some place be so tainted and recycle that energy so much that it draws not only these weird supernatural and paranormal things, but also crime, but also mental health disorder, teen suicide, rates of cancer, all these things are impacted in these same places as well. You know, it, it, it does make you wonder um, energy wise, right? Because again, fear monger things, that we don't know but also you look at energy wise and stuff like that i mean the bermuda triangle i can say those words travelers in case you're wondering <laughs> i just did what? hey you got um, out i did you should be impressed with me mark right now i am um, the gnome got up and was like i'm paying attention i got this so you you kind of wonder though because stuff happened around the bermuda triangle right there are places like that like you described where whether it's negative or not just weird crap happens yeah and you just go why does that happen you know when i when i started looking into the ocala national forest in florida i had the same kind of feel right and so i went to fort king which is in the town of ocala and i was talking to some of the rangers that were there and what they were saying to me is okay well right where we are there were uh, native americans who were here right so this is pre-seminal everyone knows seminoles in, in florida but this is pre-seminal and when they built this fort, which was supposed to be a buffer and kind of like a, uh, a military reinforcement for good relations between the Seminoles and the people of, of America and people of Florida, ended up being more of a military force to kind of back up that, some bad things. But they literally dug up those graves 
and to build the fort, right? And so when the, the Second Seminole War happened, they buried their own dead in the same places where these other spirits had been buried, right? Then they dug those spirits up and moved them to St. Augustine for the first Florida um, National Cemetery, right? And so as I'm talking to those people, they said, that's completely, everyone in the neighborhood talks about how that screwed up the neighborhood. How to go back to the same place as a, a same idea as Freetown, the teen suicide rate and the mental health rate in that neighborhood was through the roof. And the people of the town, real or not, the people of the town believed that it had something to do with what was going on there. And Mark can tell you this, if you go to Fort King, within a mile in every direction, there are like five other haunted locations. Some yeah. infamously like Seven Sisters Inn is, is right down the street. Right there. And then you have, you know, the, the, the Civic Theater Center, uh, theater was right there. And so there's all these haunted locations and there's all of this weird, unexplained negative energy things going on. And the whisper is it all has to do with the desecration of that land three times at Fort King. Yeah, that's that tragedies of Oakhurst and the Ocala horse, you know, the, the ghost horse and all that. That's all right there. And the, the town burned down and it was all right there. Right, right. right. Is, you know, decades and decades of, of craziness. Now, you mentioned Bridgewater and you're talking about dark places. So we've yeah. got to go. Well, that we're was... going to go to Bridgewater after the break, though. Okay. That's, that's not a thing. But I do have a question. And it's kind of for both of you guys, because you made me um, think of this is when it comes to, you know, something that has been talked about is like Mark brings up the fact that people used to, I'm sorry, trigger warning, skip ahead 10, I'm going to talk about dead dogs, is people used to bury a dog or a soldier and stuff like that in graveyards, right? So there's like this intention stuff that happens a lot of times with graveyards and people are responsible or there's a chief that's to watch over this particular graveyard or medicine woman. Like, I feel like, I don't know your guys' thoughts on People put very strong intentions and sometimes group intentions, whether it's a tribe or a town or a religious sect or something like that behind doing something. And they don't go, but if this happens, it's okay to change it, right? Like they're just like, this is the protected space, blah, blah, blah. And then there's, does that make sense? Like, and then there's the violation of what they said was supposed to happen there. Meaning if they had never moved it, it wasn't a haunted graveyard. It just was a graveyard, right? But because they moved it, right? They violated the, I'm going to protect and nothing should be touched and this is a sacred space. Does that kind of make sense? Like, do we yeah. think that may have it's, something to do with? You know, I think there's two ways to think of it. One is, you know, the the idea which I'm not, it may just be a romantic idea, but but it's it's one that exists, is the idea of not being able to find yourself in the afterlife, right? So if I assume that the bones are, are here and the bones are here, I'm wandering now looking for that. It's not as if they were able to then Google where their bones have been sent and are able to be like, oh, they're over in St. Augustine. I'm a ghost, I can go right over there. It's haunted anyway, and find their way there. That's, I think, one aspect of it. And I think that's an aspect that, we can latch on to because it scares the crap out of us, right? Because we want to feel as if we would find rest after we die. I kind of like another aspect of it too, which is I think these burial sites are somehow uh, a covenant of peace, right? A covenant of rest. And when you move those, when you violate those, you're breaking that covenant. You're breaking that commitment that you've made you know what i'm saying and that that kind of promise that you've made and now all of a sudden the opposite of a promise to me is a curse <laughs> and so you you kind of open it up for these other things that are kind of going on and no. i i go with uh ley lines and stuff like that if you go back to you know more medieval and alchemical and stuff that there's the maps of these energy lines that cross the world and are areas where they connect are supposedly peak areas of supernatural stuff and unusual things happen. And when we move a sacred location, you're affecting the ley line. And that's yeah. why, you know, some of these people say that the maps where the Bermuda Triangle, you know, there's a big intersection where the Bermuda Triangle used to be, but now things have shifted so much because we've built things over things and we've dug things up and, you know, man has changed everything. It's kind of like, you know, what, what have we done to affect the world? Well, 
Now the ley lines have shifted. Now they think, oh, maybe there's uh, more connections in Tampa, more connections in Ocala where they've shifted. And so that's also with that too. So that that's another level of this. And mm-hmm. I think that's why these places just become haunted hotspots, right? They become these areas of just energy that used to flow through now crunches and becomes something else. Yeah, no, I see that because again, there are some places, like I've been to cemeteries that, are not stricken with negative whatever. I'm not saying there aren't things there, but they're not weighted. That's the word I'm going to use. They're not somehow like upset or whatever. They might be wandering. They might float across the the graveyard grade or they walk back and forth or whatever. But then you go into places and even it's interesting because it's true with like houses and things like that where you go, oh, something ugly happened here. You know, houses, people died in houses all the time. You know, even currently people die in houses all the time. You know, you can buy a house. There's a chance somebody might have died in that house at some point, old age, whatever. But that doesn't mean it's haunted, right? That doesn't mean there's something there or is unhappy. Because I think a lot of times there is an upset to things being in the place, that we're talking about like the legend where you go there and it's like it's all fine until you put these things into place and then you just really piss off whatever is there right right um i want to ask you real quick before we go to break because i know we're going to go into the stories what is your favorite um legends that i guess you tripped right is that the right word Yeah, yeah yeah okay so what is one of your favorite ones or ones that kind of surprised you that maybe you went in going uh okay i'll do this and then it was like bah! yeah yeah it's it's <laughs> well, it's it's a loaded question because sometimes you go and it's the activity that gets you right mm-hmm. um other times you go and you say for example when we were at that one uh, on the east coast it was clear to us that there was probably nothing going on that it had to do with just being on the water right and and getting the echoes from all of these new houses that were being built you know, since this bar had been torn down. And so it's the, you get the context and it, and it blows you away. And then other times it's like you said, it, it's the, you were looking for one thing and then something else happened. So even though to everyone else, it seems really mundane. And, 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 and I think it's so profound for me that I can't explain what happened and therefore no one can connect with it as much as I can, but it would be Stetson University. Oh. Um, and there's a, a legend that has been so corrupted. And so I love that part of it because it's, I love, especially when I'm talking to people being like, and here's a story, but none of that is true. Right? right. And then pulling out the real story kind of thing. And so this, there's this place called Holly tower, which unless you've actually do your research, people still think is 120 or 160 feet tall. And now is just about 20 feet tall because they had to tear it down for safety reasons. But at the base of it are the Hullies. So the people who, the man who built the tower and his wife that he built it for are actually uh, entombed in the base of the tower. And so one of the legends, and there are several, but one of the main legends is if you go there at dawn, you can see the Hullies walking hand in hand uh, across the field in front of Hully Tower. And sometimes they have the dog and sometimes they don't. I don't know what makes them decide to bring the dog or not bring the dog. Uh, And so we went there and it was actually an afterthought because we were doing all of these other legends in the DeLand and and, um, Astor area. And we went to Stetson because we were up. So let's go do the Dawn one, right? And as we were sitting there and as we were waiting for this to happen, we look out and we see what I can only describe as photo negatives moving in between the trees as if they're going to class, right? So it wasn't as if it was a couple that were walking hand in hand. Instead, it was almost as if maybe more of a psychic recording, although they did seem to be aware of their environment, of these figures standing tall. I mean, we do have video of it, but the video is not great. And they're just kind of walking across as if they're going to class and they would disappear between the trees for a sec. And then they would come in again. And it was as if you were watching a photo negative and it was moving across the yard, like to the center of campus. 
And like most legend trips, unlike an investigation where you stay longer than you need to, you know when it starts and you know when it stops, right? And so many times I feel when we're on a legend trip that something has opened up and allowed us to experience the paranormal, right? Not ghost hunting, not to like, we have been allowed to glimpse something that most people don't or don't in a frame of being able to understand. And when it's over, it's over. And so sometimes we've gone on legend trips and we've traveled four hours and after 20 minutes, something has happened and we've been like, that's it. That was our moment. That's we're done. Let's get back on the car and go. Um, and that was like what it was like in Stetson. We literally looked at each other when this was over. I looked at each other and I'm like, okay, can we go back to, to the hotel now and get some sleep? And we're like, yeah, it's over. It's done. We've experienced it. And we went back. So that was really a profound experience that I can never quite explain. I guess I should be a better writer. Uh, I can never quite explain just exactly that moment for the audience because ultimately, with so much of this, you've got to experience it yourself. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I think they call them stone tapes when it's like a repeat kind of thing. That's the Nigel Keel version, yeah. Yeah, but one of the things that I always wonder about an experience like that, and then we'll go to break, right? Listeners, travelers, here's some food for thought, but Chris, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on this is, were you seeing because they were moving or were you seeing because somebody had watched them and it's their replay? Does yeah. that make sense? Like, no, I'm with of, you. Yeah. Everybody always, I, I'm, I'm going to just start breaking down thoughts process here, but I often go, you know, people go replay ghosts and I get it. And the ones that are stuck, you know, they're watching whatever or they're whatever, but I kind of sometimes wonder on scenes like what you just described, is that somebody else's, projection and and thoughts or pictures of watching something like that happen and then they're gone versus is it really i don't know how many you saw six people walking like the likelihood that six ghosts that are walking all together like "Eh." but the thought that maybe it was somebody who was sitting on the grass or wherever you were watching these students go to school like yeah i i think i really love that question i i think that one of the reasons why i put all the equipment away and I stopped being an investigator was trying to explain what that was. And, but more importantly, shutting off my natural body experiences. So I know that I've been in locations and we've been legend tripping and because I'm not focused on all the technology, I know that something's talking to me in my head and it's not the, the normal people telling me to do bad things. I know that, the, that something spiritual is, is connecting with me. Right. And sometimes I very clearly am seeing sometimes eyes open sometimes not a what has someone else has seen right um like i'm catching a glimpse of that so i do think that that 100 exists this didn't 100 feel like that but i think that part of the beauty of legend tripping and getting rid of the equipment is you leave yourself open for those kind of moments as opposed to the measurable ones that investigators are more likely to get yeah like so that's just me as a, a storyteller i want the story I want the experience. I don't need to be out there with the little EMF detector yeah. and all that. I, I'm good with people out there with it, but I'm there for the story. So. Yeah, most of the time when I'm asked to do an investigation now, um, and I think this has been really pretty much since I wrote the book, Picture Yourself Ghost Hunting, which I hated the title, but it was it's a really cool book. I'm observing the investigators more than I'm observing the paranormal stuff. Like I'm getting almost their narrative rather than you know, out there contributing in an investigatory manner. I'm just going to say it's interesting that you said the picture thing, because that's something I'm a firm believer. When people ask me how I perceive the paranormal, right? There's a lot of feeling, Mark's been around me when I've experienced it, right? There is definitely a feeling and stuff like that. But for me, they don't talk to me. It's not audible. Like, I get the pictures. Like, I can, kind of what you said, it's almost either like, a movie or somebody's flipping like a flip book of something happening and I'm watching it from that perspective and that's where I go this isn't to your point this isn't my thought this is what somebody is showing me you know this is what I'm perceiving they're showing me and I feel like a lot of times that's how the spirit world tries to explain things because you know they don't have a vocal cord yes they whatever but they're not going Erica, let me tell you what happened in this building. But I could go, you know, this and describe something. 
and have it be people confirm that that's the tr what that scene looked like before right, right. or whatever anyway we got to jump to break though oh my gosh i just gave myself goosebumps we got to jump to break we'll be right back travelers after these messages from our amazing sponsors prepare to be devoured the wolves of wharton is a six-part complete book series by Erie Travel's producer, Bo Lake. It has been called dark and visceral, steamy, dramatic, and a fresh take on the werewolf mythos. If you like action, adventure, a large serving of body horror, and some steamy relations, the Wolves of Wharton series is for you. Pick it up wherever books are sold or at linktree.com slash bow underscore underscore lake. Most know Florida as the land of endless sunny beaches, but the state is home to numerous eerie legends and mysterious creatures. The Everglades is home to the elusive skunk ape. In Key West lies an uncanny doll reputed to have a life of its own. Join Mark Muncy and illustrator Carrie Schultz as they uncover the history behind the state's creepiest stories and unusual locations. The Dark Side of the Sunshine State presented in Eerie Florida from History Press. Okay, we're back, and I've officially given myself the heebie-jeebies. So, Mark, um, you wanted to ask a question that I so rudely interrupted. Yes, you did, and I'll never forgive you for it. But yeah, no, I, I forgive you now. So, Quite frankly, I don't care. I'm just kind of dining on the fact that while I didn't give her the goosebumps and the heebie-jeebies, I at least said something which led her to think something, which she then gave it to. So I'm all good. Like you You've guys done it. You've, done, you've, you've, yeah, yeah. you've accomplished the mission of every Eerie Travels guest. Is to I'm, give, I'm done for the night. So. Is to give Erica heebie-jeebies. <laughs> so, uh, which also translates to some of our listeners getting the heebie-jeebies, as we have learned. Yeah. So we have several listeners who nope with Erica uh, quite frequently. But now my question is, we brought up Bridgewater Triangle. Yeah. And yeah. Honestly, I think that was when I first looked into you after we had met and become friends. I'm like, oh wow, I didn't know much about the Bridgewater Triangle. And now here's the expert. So yeah. let's well, let's do a little bit about Bridgewater and then we'll talk about some of your latest projects. Sure. Sure, sure. So tell us, tell us about it. What is the <laughs> I was gonna triangle? say, is there a question there? Yeah, well, you know, so it's funny because oh, I ran into a a parent of one of my students. Um, and she went, hey, Route 44. And he, you know, she went, Route 44, Route 40. And it was crazy because we're here in Florida. We're about 2,000 miles away from Route 44 in Rehoboth, Massachusetts. And yet here's what this parent, she didn't want to talk about her failing child. She wanted to talk about the ghost of, of Route 44. You know, it's 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 interesting. And I'm going to do my my journey with it because I, yeah. I, I want to make it all about me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when I when I first started, uh, I set up my website, my original website, Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads, and it was supposed to be this idea because I've always been obsessed with a haunting and then the stories we make up about it. And so that crossroads has always been my obsession. So my my back, my, I've always the crossroads are always somewhere in everything I do. And so I put it up there, and I would I'm, I was I'm from Boston, and I would put like a, a, a legend or a place I had visited in Boston, I wouldn't get any hits. And then I would put something in this, the, the town of Rehoboth uh, or the town of like Fall River and my website numbers would go through the roof and I would get tons of email and I would get tons of, you know, contacts. This is before like people were hitting me up on Instagram or anything like that. And it was like, what, what, what is up with this that so much is going on there? Um, and there was this great book, uh, New England Ghost Files. If you're from New England and you haven't read that book, you need to go find an old copy of it, uh, even if you're not from New England. And so many of the stories are from the same area of Massachusetts. And the more I started looking into it, I made contact with, a, with this guy named Chris Pittman. And Chris Pittman is the UFO encrypted guy of, of the same area. And what we didn't know is we were friends. Like as I'm doing the research about this place, I all of a sudden come across his name. And I'm like, isn't that the guy I used to work with at my sister's restaurant? 
And we had worked next to each other for years at this restaurant and didn't know the other one was into this stuff, right? And then he's like, well, yeah, it's all part of the Bridgewater Triangle. And I was like, well, what's that? So when people say the Bridgewater Triangle exists and people are looking at it, no, for me, I was being forced to this area and realized it had a bigger name, which was not popular at the time. When I first started looking into this, it was an obscure reference from Lauren Coleman in, in a book from 1983 called Mysterious America. And locals, some locals knew about it and some, but it wasn't like the, you know, the behemoth that it is now. And so it's this area of Massachusetts, southeastern Massachusetts, between the towns of Rehoboth, Freetown and Abington that form this rough triangle. Although most people who will talk about it will say to you that they know that there is, a, a, you know, other towns that are involved in this. It's not a strict triangle. But, you know, Lauren Coleman really likes things to be precise. And he had started with a triangle of Bridgewater, Eastwater, West, West Bridgewater, and it just expanded it out. So he liked the idea of having it be triangle, but very clearly talks about his original work was just a template. There are so much uh, activity in the in the confines of this triangle that it's it's unexplainable within the unexplainable. You can move two, you know two or three uh, dozen miles away from the triangle in towns, and there's nothing. And then you're in the triangle. There's also a certain feel for what a triangle case is versus a non-triangle case, right? Classic, you know, ghost story. You go into I was using this example. You go into a bar. Oh, it's haunted. Like two guys got mad at each other and they killed each other. And now their ghosts are still here. Like, in other words, there's an understandable backstory. And whether the backstory is true or not, it's tethered to something. Triangle stories are just friggin' weird, right? It's just, we've been married happily for 12 years. We moved to the triangle. We started having these horrific nightmares and seeing shadow people and divorced two years later. And oh, oh by the way- wow. We moved to a different part of Massachusetts. Five years later, we got married again because we, we discovered each other, right? It's like that kind of stuff. Bridgewater Hospital, which is a psychiatric facility, um, has seven times as many suicides in this mental health facility than anywhere else in the country. Divorce rates plummet. The, I mean, you know, plummet upwards, I guess. So it's plummet, like explode, I guess, not plummet, yeah. right? The uh, Route 24, and this was one of the things that really got me going. Route 24, which essentially is the backbone of the triangle. I would be driving, you know, through Boston, 95, you know, 93. That'll make anyone from Massachusetts will know those references. And you'd hear on the radio, accident on 24, you know, people are dead. Accident on 24. Like, you know, it, it was for a while, it was the uh, most, it had the most fatalities per accident. Anything that you are looking for is in there, right? Places like the Hockamock Swamp, which is physically kind of in the center of it, is this ancient, undamaged, well, for a long time, and now they're, they're developing it more, uh, where people would find these gigantic snakes that defied explanation in Massachusetts. They would find uh, there's, there's been a ton of Bigfoot sightings there. Um, all of these things that are unexplained. And then you have all the hauntings that go through it as well. So whether it's a UFO sighting, you know, the infamous uh, Ronald Reagan turn Air Force one around to capture uh, is, is attributed to it. It's not. It's wrong. It's totally wrong. It didn't happen there. But for years, people said that that happened there, you know, and so it's just this this place of, uh, uh, you know, there's a doc, there's a great documentary if you have Amazon Prime, not quite as good because some of my stuff got cut and I'm the best part of it called the, you know, the Bridgewater Triangle documentary, yeah. which, is, which is this amazing journey into it from someone who totally comes from the mindset of none of this is true. Like none of this is real. I should say not true, but real. Uh, and so it's very like just giving you the facts of things. It was always a bigger case and a weirder case and a weirder legend if it was taking place within the triangle. So you mentioned them, um, puckwudgies. What yeah. is a puckwudgie? I've been we, trying we, to bring oh, it up whoa, to Eric. Whoa, we just, whoa. They're in that area. <laughs> I know, but we didn't, whoa. Cause, whoa. So on Bridgewater yeah. uh, is, because you're such an expert and my only question is this like has there been anything linked to stuff in the past or has it just been okay see yeah that's that's the beauty of, of of bridgewater is that every time you think 
you've peeled to the best layer of the onion, you realize there's something underneath, right? And so a lot of the people uh, say that the reason why this area is so uh, tainted, it's so cursed, is because of the King Philip's War, which happened okay. in 1675, right? Where uh, the Wampanoag who were living in that area went to war with Plymouth Colony. And it's considered the bloodiest conflict in U.S. history because uh, it was just for the number of people that were there and the number of people that got wiped out on both sides of the of the aisle. It's bloodier than other conflicts and wars that we've been in. I look at that and I say that the King Philip's War is a symptom of the Bridgewater Triangle and not uh, the cause of it, right? Because if you if you take a step back and you look at some of the elements of the Bridgewater Triangle, I'm in Florida now. Florida is a land of conquest, right? Like Spanish came in and they were like, we like all of this. We're taking it uh, and we're going to take it by force. New England, the English, they were very proper about it, right? Like they would come in and like, we're just going to convert you to Christianity and then make it so that you want to buy all our goods. And then while you're not looking, steal your crap, right? Like they were not conquerors the way that the Spanish were, for example. Therefore, the war crimes that were taking place on both sides from the British to the Wampanoag and the Wampanoag to the British were uncharacteristic. It's almost as if they were possessed. And so when you look at that, you say that stuff didn't happen in Native American and really European, except for in this one little place. Why did it only happen there, right? Yeah. Something was weird. And so then it goes back to the next level of it and the next level of it. And so if you, I always say to people, if you're looking for a cause and effect, or if you're looking for a solution to the problem of Bridgewater, you're not going to find it because it just stares right back at you and says like, yeah, but what about this? And what <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the idea, which I've floated recently, you know, or you know, by recently, I mean the past few years is that I honestly think that, the Bridgewater Triangle is not a battlefield. It's not, it's not a map. It is a thing. It's a living, breathing thing that only allows itself, it's, it's a tease, right? It only allows a little bit of itself to be known. So people who really look into the Bridgewater Triangle, we're all screwed up. Do you know what I'm saying? Like we all, like if you look at the people who are, the highest level of people who have been involved in the triangle, right? Like Jeff Belanger, who's worked on it. He's covered things on it. He's done it. Jeff Belanger's untouchable, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, nothing can make his life bad, but he's commenting on it. He didn't, he's not an investigator there. He didn't, he didn't, he doesn't, you know, I've been out with him to search different, different parts of it and look into different parts of it, but he's, he's, a, uh, he's in there and he's out. I am, am an outsider, right? I'm a Boston kid going into this place that's like an hour and a half, two hours away from Boston. So even I'm an outsider, but I've written about it. Every person who's written about it, the man who made the documentary, other people who have written books about it, gotten into it, devoted their life to it, the Chris Pittman I was talking about uh, earlier, we all have screwed up lives. We're all divorced, right? We all have these really unusual paranormal careers where, I mean, the, the guy who made the documentary is a great example because he's brilliant. He hasn't been able to make anything since. Like there's always been this kind of weird thing and he's made two others of the same kind of area and they always seem to ooh, go, go down. And that's, that's kind of this weird thing. And, and on top of that, no one can cover it, right? I don't know if you guys have ever watched the show Kindred Spirits, but they were supposed to have a three episode special in the Bridgewater Triangle like two years ago. Yep. That hasn't happened. Not and so I get contacted by production companies all the time. Will you help us make that? I'm like, no. First of all, no, because, you know, that's not my gig anymore, right? Like there are other people who are better at it. And I'm like, your show's never going to come to air. You know, like every once in a while, there'll be an episode. There was an episode of Beyond Skinwalker that that did an episode about the Bridgewater Triangle. I'm When I tell you I've had probably close to 200 production companies approach me over the years, and there's like three episodes of paranormal TV out there about the Bridgewater Triangle, it doesn't want to be known. It, don't, it wants just enough that you're enticed, but never close enough that you'll have any, any uh, chance of understanding it. Okay. Now I've so asked. The best, so the best you can do. So the yeah. best you can do is buy my books because that's yeah. as close as you'll get to uh, to getting it. I'm joking about that part, but. <laughs> 
Oh my god. Work okay. for me. I love the book. Oh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Now ask your puck wedgie question. All right. Is that okay now? Now it's okay. <laughs> Are we okay? Yeah. Okay. All right. So one of the many things that the Bridgewater Triangle is known for, for those that do study it, is the puck wedgie legend. So let's explain that for those at home that aren't familiar with this. Sure. I was just watching a YouTube video this morning and it was talking about puck wedgies and it was doing this description and it went, and it has long talons used for ripping the throats out of people. And I was like, Oh shit, where have, well, this is, it's off the rails. Where, yeah. like, wait a minute. I had heard that. So I was writing dark woods and I was approached by several people who all were looking to have something that was happening to them explained and there was no explanation for it they didn't have a name for it and all of their stories basically like had this kind of a uh, model they were out in the woods and all of them were freetown state uh, forest woods they're out in the woods they see a small almost human-like creature like a troll type creature right uh they described it differently the three people described it slightly differently, but it was almost like a, a chubby old child out in the woods. One, they could see clothes. and not, The other two, the belly was too big. It was kind of a longer nose than a human nose, but it very much looked like if you were to just take a human, a, an adult human, and squish them down. Like all the features were kind of chubby like that and stuff like that. And uh, two of them were, two of them were, were like kind of regular, you know, maybe a little bit hair and one was hairier, but, and so they looked kind of both of them, you know, all, all three of them for one reason or another had to look away when they looked back, it was gone. And they got this feeling of kind of like, okay, we shouldn't be here. We need to get out of the forest. This is kind of weird and creepy. And they left days later. And I, I think it's the influence of folklore because all of them said three days later, although I get a feeling it wasn't three days later, they just went to that number. They encountered the Pukwudgie. Two of them, it was in their house and a third, it was in a parking lot as he was waiting for his girlfriend. And on all three of them, one person woke up to have the puck wedgie standing over their bed. Another one woke up to have the puck wedgie uh, floating in the window. And they were on the second floor, very much like uh, Salem's lot, right? And then the fourth one was looking in his rear view mirror and it, he could see that it was right behind his car with his hand on the car. And all of them, you know, used almost the exact same words that the feeling that they got was, you might know where you can find me, but I definitely know where I can find you. Like they got this feeling of, I am being threatened right now, never to go back and invade his space. And so these, these people who all approached me with within like a month and they're asking me, what is this? Like what? And I'm like, I haven't the slightest idea. And then I was reading a book by Joe Citro. And I'm reading it, and he's talking about the Dover Demon, which is a famous uh, case in Massachusetts. And he just throws out there this line, and, you know, puck wedgie. It's probably, the Dover Demon probably not a puck wedgie. And I was like, what, what's a puck wedgie? Like, what the hell are you talking about? And so I started doing research. I was a librarian at the time, and so I had access to everything. And so I started doing research, and the word puck wedgie, if you looked it up then on the internet, all you would find is the reference to a kid's book, right? It was a kid's book called The, the Good Giants and the Bad Puck Wedgies. But if you went to the back of that book, you would find a reference to, many of these stories here came from this other book called The Narrow Land. And so I bought The Narrow Land. And The Narrow Land opened up a world to me. I had all of this, this puck wedgie lore, where they had come from, their interactions with, you know, uh, this idea that they were once really good friends with the Wampanoag, but there seemed to be almost like a, like a sibling rivalry with Mashop, the creator god. And, and when the Wampanoag were getting much more attention, that pissed the puck wedgies off and they got violent. They started burning villages and kidnapping kids and they control the souls of, uh, of people uh, of, that they've killed 
with these ghost lights, which they call Tai Pai Wunkas, and they use those to lead these. And everything was clicking because this was all the activity that was happening in the Bridgewater Triangle. And so I started publishing all this stuff about it. And of course, once again, being a librarian and being, you know, I, like I know Mark is, I went to the bibliography of this book and I got every <laughs> single thing, every article on ILL I got, like, and I was just submerged in it. I just kept pushing this out to people with articles and things like that. And then officially with, with Dark Woods, and it is such a rich lore. It's such a rich story. And every culture has these diminutive little demon, demon things that people latched onto the story. And people started to kind of put their own stuff on the Pukwudgie, right? And so it's gone from this, you know, this kind of mischievous troll in the woods, usually avoiding people, making it clear that they don't want you uh, in their area to... If you go into the woods, puck wedgies are going to rip out your throats. And now they look like monsters and there's drool coming down. And they look like werewolves. And because people need that kind of bad guy and puck wedgies fit the bill. Then J.K. Rowling takes the idea of a puck wedgie and she turns him into this dude in like regular clothes and like a British accent, helping out witches that come to America. And now like puck wedgie is a house. Uh, in Livermore, like the the you know in the in the extended Harry Potter universe, I am a Gryffindor and a Puckwudgie, depending on which which uh, which <laughs> which you know school of wizardry I'm at. And so I think it's it's really one of those things. And and I've come across them more places, and they're more frequent than than just in Massachusetts. But I really think that they've exploded a because it's a really cool name, and b it's such a great template for whatever your folklore is that people kind of adopt the puck wedgie and then like add things to it. it every to me anything after me is like fan fiction which is fine because as a folklorist i sit back because no one remembers me that i'm the one that put this crap out there you know i i sit back and i watch it and i go oh so the puck wedgie now can turn into a dragon well ain't that cool okay all right all right <laughs> so wait let me go back to this creepy people in the houses and stuff like that <laughs> yeah because um, that's really the essence of what they were doing you know well yeah. you know and it kind of makes me think a little bit of fae like right. when we're talking yeah. about creatures because we talk about i mean this is all pretty natural you have no idea what it is but there is a legend and i cannot remember the name of it right now so forgive me travelers so i'll have to go down a rabbit hole to look it up of this creature in africa in south africa that is a little creature it comes in your homes and it eats your toes so you always put your bed on bricks right and the whole concept of that particular creature described very much like what you're talking about yeah. right is people used to get sick from laying on the ground you know what i mean because mm -hmm. you get sick from laying on the ground but this creature was you'll come it will come kill you so if you do not have so to this day they people put bricks yeah. under their beds normal beds you go into most people's houses in South Africa, they have bricks under their beds. And we'll have to do an episode or part of an episode on this, but it's it's interesting to me because when you describe this creature and you describe what it's doing, I very much go, well, that sounds like Faye. That sounds yeah. like something. So one of the things I've, one of the things I've always said um, from the very beginning with this is as I was looking, I think I mentioned in my very first article, this is a, a leprechaun without the pot of gold right? This is mirroring so much uh, of, of what is in English and Irish folklore for fairies uh, and things like that. It's the interpretation of the observer, not necessarily the nature of the creature, right? Like we're relating it to culturally what we want. Like, so what I found was, for example, that uh, this really blew things open for me. I'm the only person in the world whose bucket list was to go to Indiana, Right. And so I went to I went to Mound State Park in Indiana. Oh, yeah. We happened to go there on a day because that's Puckwudgie Central. Like out when you get outside of New England, that's the that's the other. It's spelled differently, but that's huge. And we happened to go there on a day that there was this doctor who I'm totally forgetting what her, her doctorate was in. Um, but she was she knew all about the cultural importance of Mound State Park. And, you know, Indiana, they call it with the crossroads of America that people from all across the country would go to Mound State Park, which originally, and I, I think this is why Mark's nodding, aligns to all those stones across yep. the Midwest, right? And all those- Around All that goes right. right all, those, all those things point to Indiana, point to this one spot. 
and people would go. You ever wonder why you don't, you hear sometimes in legends, these famous chiefs and you don't know where they are, right? They don't know where they're buried. They were buried in Mount State Park because tribes from all across the country would bring their most noble dead and they would have this kind of, you know, week of prayer and week of understanding each other and just getting together and, and, and they would bury the people who were most honored who had died that year in these mounds in Indiana. And they had no common language, but they all started talking about these small little creatures that they were experiencing on whatever part of America they were living on. And Pukwudgie became a, a, almost like an umbrella term for small things scaring the crap out of us. And so you have all of these tribes that don't share a common language all across America that if you look deep into their lore, you see the phrase Pukwudgie. So that's a really long way of me saying there are different breeds of them. So you have like the Oz spirit that's in Australia. You have these really hairy uh, ones that look like Elmo in New Hampshire. You have the traditional kind of one that's in New England and parts of Canada. But I think that they're all legions of fae. You know, that there's definitely a fairy elemental feel to them much more than let's go out and grab a puck wedgie and capture it. It's it's yeah. really interesting you say that because Iceland, I was there, it's the little people. Yeah. And they're described very much like that, the little people. It's interesting that when we, after we went to Mound State Park and we really kind of uh, got on this whole trail of fairy trees and fairy rings and things like that, we then went back to revisit all of these different legends that we had tripped. Uh, for example, we got the inspiration from Mark to go to Felipe Park, right? And Safety Harbor. And when we went there, the very first thing that we noticed was you have this temple mound, which is the focus of the legend. And then you have where would have been the burial plots, if you think about a Tobobogan you know, village setup, and where the, the burial mounds would have been are now trees. And almost all of those trees look like fairy trees. They've got that entrance in the base of it. You know what I'm saying? They that look like, you know, and and so the other ghosts that are there, whether whatever's at at, safe, at Safety Harbor, you know, the other reports of the people and the people walking across the field, the mound is now in the middle of a ferry ring. That's so weird. And okay, super weird, super weird. With that though, we have to um do shameless self-promotion time now that I'm sufficiently freaked out. So um cool. Well done for doing that. Uh so uh, let's do shameless self-promotion. Chris, where can people find you and your books and your stuff and all that? We're going to include it in the show notes. Beautiful. But so people follow you. Wherever you go to get your books on Mark, go there and then move over to spaces. And that's my stuff. <laughs> that's um, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, you know, all my stuff is on Amazon. My stuff from, and my Florida stuff is on Amazon, uh, as well as my New England and kind of, you know, uh, you more more whole countrywide things. The name of the podcast that I do is called Tripping on Legends. You can find that on any platform, and and pretty much there are no other Balzanos out there doing what I do. So if you just go and you look up Balzano and Ghost, you're gonna find me. I know that because my students find these really uh, weird, obscure pictures of me and then make it their background of their computers. <laughs> uh, or insert them into their assignments. So, you know, I'm pretty easy to find out there. But if you're looking for just the uh, the book tour, you can definitely go to Amazon and you'll find all 12 of them. I love that. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful meeting you. I can't wait to have you back on because I feel like we just scratched the surface of We're stuff. Just, I am like that rash on the uh, on the paranormal. So, yes, we just scratched that <laughs> a little bit. It's, it's like herpes. It just keeps coming back. Okay. okay. You didn't have to go there. We could have just stayed with Rash. You had to. No, no she, she has to go. Our oh, no. Chris, if there's a line, up. I'm going to make a beeline for That's it. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. After, after the Roo Guru episode, we learned about sexually transmitted curses. And so that's that's all she thinks about now. It was sexually. So, and then Bigfoot it was incest. Wedgie, probably. Yeah. yeah. And Bigfoot incest. Yeah. Yeah. Bigfoot I was going to say in Florida. We call them stump jumpers. That was the puck wedgies I was talked about. In the yeah, you know, you know, it, it's it's funny because I had a puck wedgie case and the person was telling me about it and they were like, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, it's, it's this weird little town in Florida called Cape Coral. Do you know where it is? I'm like, 
yeah, that's where I live. Oh, it's on Burnt Store Road, you know? And like, yeah, that's the the road that goes parallel to mine. Uh, And then years later, now people are seeing ghost lights in that same location. I'm like, oh, type I want good. So yes, please send me your name for Puck Wedges. I used to have a, a running list of them. And listeners, yeah, please send us your like, yeah, we'll get them on to Chris. Any of you send to us. Erica, any last words? Um, I know because I'm both freaked out and fascinated at this time, which I feel like is Chris's mantra in life. To freak you really just out. described most of my relationships, yes. Yes, done, <laughs> done. Do you see how that worked out? <laughs> well, if we, if we go up to Indie Popcon again, we'll have to make a trip over to the mountain complex. It's beautiful. We'll send, we'll send Chris some pictures, please. Yes. Uh, oh my gosh, gang. Well, thank you so much for listening again. Thank you all for joining us. It was our pleasure having you, Chris. Thank you so much for- Thank you very much for having me. Honestly, an honor, an honor. So, and uh, we'll, we'll you know, keep doing what you do. We'll keep all of our books and all the Cracker Barrels throughout the Sunshine State. And we'll-, we'll Yeah, keep it. doing what you do so I can steal your crap. Keep stealing your crap, so. All right, I'll, I'll get some more ones out that way. But right, uh, anyway, <laughs> with that, listeners- Thank you so much for listening. Please like, share, subscribe as always. And uh, definitely check out the Patreon, which just went live last month. And we already have quite a few Patreons and they're on the Discord and doing all the fun things. And you can too for, you know, almost no money at all. So we we made it as easy as you could for gateway entry. But with that said, thank you, Patreons, for supporting us. And with that, I will say, make sure when you are traveling the highways and byways of Massachusetts, or Central Florida, and you see something in that rearview mirror, or you hear a strange noise, don't worry, it's usually just the cops, but it might be a puckwudgie. And we will see you on the other side.